I think there was a comedian that uh, <laughs> was talking about how he picked up a kid and he's like, oh, look at you. And then the kid sneezed directly into his mouth. <laughs> It's like, oh god, dude! I used to do that growing up. I remember I did it to Braden several times. Sneak on him on purpose. Yeah, where he would like Taylor and I did something to piss him off, and he grabbed me, and I like for some reason I was able to sneeze on command when he grabbed me. I just sneezed over his face. I think I did it multiple times too. He's <laughs> like, what the? F-? <laughs> gets a disproportionate to, response. <laughs> gets him to let go. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Disgusting. Oh. That is disgusting. <laughs> Welcome to the Cold Bow Podcast. This is Jake, and I'm here with my cold bros. What's up, guys? Hey. So really loud. So every time I hear cold bros now, I was just uh, I was just talking to Eric Busby, the my brother-in-law that does the intro music. <clears throat> What's up, he, Eric? We need to get him on the episode. He uh, apparently doesn't listen much because he, he asked me today, just randomly, like, so on your podcast, do you call your listeners cold bros? Like, we actually do. <laughs> like, oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> so we're the cold bros. They're the cold boners. Oh, okay. I think that's how. I think it's the, the vernacular now. Oh, is that the vernacular I now? I think so. Okay, so I need uh, our sign out needs to be see you later, cold boners. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's it. Actually, I don't think that's the beginning the- of the episode. They're all in. They're standing up for attention. <laughs> and at the end, they're really tired. They're flaccid. <clears throat> Just want to go all to bed. Right. Our episode is Viagra for our for our, <laughs> for our listeners. That that joke fell apart real quick. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and pretend like I didn't make it. Let's edit this out. So, <laughs> uh, what have what have y'all been up to, Scotty? Anyone, anyone want to go first? Um, so I just finished an audiobook called Seven Eves, which was this long book uh, it, it was a really interesting concept but it wasn't executed super well was that a daniel opinion. green recommendation no it wasn't it was actually a destined from smarter every day um he recommended it anyway it's it's really uh, technical it kind of reminded me of the martian a little bit in the way that it was very sciencey um i thought the not i, I think that the execution part was by the narrator the the audiobook narrator oh really she wasn't great um with accents and stuff it was it was kind of cringy a little mm. bit but anyway it, and it was really long book anyway it, it, it was really cool the the premise is that uh something it, it's kind of modern maybe 10 years in the future 15 and uh something hits the moon and breaks it into like seven eight pieces it was thanos and then, uh, and then eventually, the, the pieces keep breaking up into smaller and smaller pieces until it's exponential. And there's uh, what they call white rain that basically destroys the Earth in a heat flash cloud thing for five thousand years. <laughs> and so they, uh, so th- basically, humanity has two years to um, build up the current International Space Station to a point where it can sustain. A couple thousand lives to sustain life for that five thousand years until Earth is inhabitable again. Anyway, it's really interesting book, and it has a point in it where 
they they finally get to a safe point and it says 5000 years later and it's a completely new cast in the, oh. the book and it's not a new book it's the same book like i would have thought i was like this is going to happen i think it was going to be like a sequel or something there's no sequel it's like all in one book hmm. anyway it's a really cool book and i think you should maybe consider it but what's it called again seven eves and the seven eves i guess is a little spoiler but not that spoiler there uh there's ends up humanity the last Surviving people of humanity are seven women and the seven Eves. Is there seven brothers for those seven? No, they they te- technology thieves. has gotten to a point where they can they can uh, alter DNA to to make males somehow. Anyway, interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, this isn't what I wanted to talk about, but I I just watched a movie last night called I Am Mother. And it's one oh, of those, the one on Netflix. It's one, it's one of those movies yeah. where the name of the the title of the the movie is a spoiler for the, for the movie. <laughs> so, because um, they're like, "Well, who is this person?" Like, I don't know. It's a, it's a mystery, and I'm like, "That's mother, it's obviously." <laughs> so anyway, that's I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but this I guess just have that thought in the back of your head, <laughs> right? <laughs> anyway, uh, um, I don't want to go too much into it just because it's. It, like it, usually when I when I read a book, I, I'm pretty easy to please. I was like, anytime it asked me to rate it, it's like that's eh, a five star. That was awesome. I loved that. This one was was one of the first ones where I was like, you know what? That's it probably not a five star. Have you read American Gods? No. J- Jake and I read that. I think he read it way like a year before me, and then I read it too. It's on my wish list. Um, but then I was like, dude, that book was crazy, huh? He's like, yeah, I know. I was like, did you like it? And he's like, um. I don't know. And it's like it's like that's not the right question to ask after that book because it's I don't know. It, I, but, I understand what you're saying. I know yeah. exactly what you're saying. I don't I, know, dude. It was because I loved it. That book's a, a comedy, like you were saying earlier. It just flatlines the whole time. Yeah. And do do I like it? I don't know. Uh, was it good? It was excellent. Was it bad? Yeah. Was it bad? Yeah. That, that's that's how I'm feeling about this one. Mm-hmm. Where, where you, I know it was, it's top notch, really good writing, really good book, but I, I guess it's not for me. I, I don't know what what it was that is preventing me from giving it full. Dude, five stars. Daniel Green did a review of her book recently, where he's like, the writer of this book is amazing, and I felt everything that he wanted me to feel, but I don't like it because of that. Like the, the characters that he wrote are so terrible that I don't want to continue, and that's kind of how I felt reading Dark like Tower. Like the characters are bad people, or they're terribly the main. Built. The main villain is the main character is a psychopathic, oh. crazy person, and he uses and manipulates people. So you have his inner dialogue. So gotcha. the, the the Daniel Green felt exactly what the author wanted him to feel, and it was like but he didn't like feeling. It was like way. Dark Tower, and I couldn't stand. I couldn't stand that Detta character. I didn't like. Yeah. I didn't like oh, her. Oh yeah. What she, what she said. I didn't. I didn't like reading about her. And then I was like, I really hope she dies. And then she didn't. And I was like, I don't want to read about her again in the next book. Like I really don't. It, so like like if she was a person, you just wouldn't want to be around her. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of how I felt. And so now it. you're investing your time being around people that you don't want to be mm-hmm. around. So, 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 so it's not it's it's not a knock on the author. In fact, it's uh, it's really it's a huge good. compliment. It's a huge compliment to the he, author. He, it's like almost he did his job too well. Yeah. Because exactly. it's like no, no, I don't want to read your your other book. So yeah, it's interesting. 
So I watched, I know last time, uh, last week we did a, a long thing about a comedy special that I watched. I also watched another comedy special that was Jim Gaffigan's new comedy special on Amazon. He has a yeah. new one? Yeah. yeah. He, he's, he, he's the first big, big name to go on Amazon. So, special. so Amazon has a bunch of, he's like a Ninja bunch of specials platforms. Amazon has a bunch of yeah. specials on there, but he, this one is the very first Amazon original comedy special and which is super exciting. Amazon's making a lot of good moves right now. Yeah. It's super exciting that, that, that more comedians, that comedians are having more <clears throat> places to go for their comedy because mm-hmm. they usually go in cars with coffee. <laughs> I've also been watching that. The <laughs> yeah, new, me too. The new, the new season. It's fantastic. Um, Jim Kafkin, he hasn't lost a step. He has, the, the he's guy, so good. He, everything he does is gold. Do you know? Do you know what's interesting is I follow him on Twitter and uh, and Instagram, and I, I like I like it, that he has a big family and he's a family guy, but he can still do his comedy career and stuff. Um, I recently uh, watched him on the Joe Rogan podcast, and he just <laughs> bugged me. Really? Jim Gaffigan did. He, 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 it was almost like he was trying to antagonize uh, Joe Rogan, <laughs> and Joe Rogan diffused it really well. It was, it was really interesting. That's weird. Yeah, it was, it was odd. Because I, I, I always, because like he, for how big he was, it's weird that he wasn't like in more movies. And the ones that he were, was he in has for like a little bit? seven movies that he's going to be in this year. Really? This year, yeah. they're they're all indie though. Yeah, that, but that's what I mean. Is like like maybe he's obnoxious. That's what I thought. I was like maybe he just like as a, as a diva on set or something. Like, I don't know. He, he was. <clears throat> it was interesting. Like everything else I've seen him like, not not like as himself, not as a character on on a stage or whatever. Mm-hmm. I've always liked him, but just in this one, it kind of soured me. I was like, what what are you? Like, like he was, uh, he was just like, um, because Joe Rogan brought up so, somehow elk hunting elk came up because that's Joe Rogan, you know, yeah. every episode, um, and he was and he was just like, kind of ribbing Joe about like, oh, you're such a manly man, man, like you, how do you eat elk? How often do you eat elk? Blah blah blah, and, and it, it was just like. Why are you doing this? And you could tell Joe was a little uncomfortable, and then he diffused it by like just going way too far with the joke about anyway, and making Jim a little uncomfortable. It was yeah. kind of funny. Anyway, um, that's interesting yeah. because I actually um, watched him on your mom's house because mm-hmm. he was yeah, on me there. Too. I watched there. that one as well, and yeah, I again. loved him on that. Me episode. too. I loved him. I thought he was so great in there. You should, you should go watch the one with, with Joe Rogan. It's, That's it's interesting. interesting. Maybe he just doesn't like him. Maybe. Maybe, maybe he's just having a bad day. I don't no. know. I That's mean, everyone does. So. Yeah, exactly. That's All weird, right. man. Should we get started? Uh, so what I've been up to. Oh, Chris has something <laughs> that he wants to say. Um, th- th- this, to me, is like one of the funniest things I've ever heard. This is just like, a, I guess, a little anecdote. Um, did you guys hear about Jeremy Renner's app? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I've heard whispers of this. <laughs> I I watched like a it was almost like a documentary, but like of of people like of dogs being adopted or something. They told it in like a really funny way, or it was really sad, but the delivery was funny. Anyway, <laughs> Jeremy Renner's app they had to close it down recently. Uh, for one, there's just too many toxic fans on there. So, so what is the app meant for? What, like, so what is you, what's the? It's just a place where fans of Jeremy Renner can gather, 
and talk about Jeremy Renner. And he built the app himself. Yeah, like he, built he, the app he, himself. He, he launched it. You open the app while it's loading. It's like his black and white headshot where he's staring at you. Dude, that, that, he seems like such a put together person. <laughs> what, who would do? <laughs> I don't who know. Is that? Someone convinced him to make it. Like, someone thought it would be a good idea. You uh, can, you can buy, that is cringy. you can it buy is super stars. Cringy. You buy, like, with your own money, you purchase stars. And the only thing the stars does is show your ranking in the Jeremy Renner fandom. So dude, dude, I remember when the iPhone first came out. <laughs> yeah. I remember when the iPhone first came out, there was a, an app that was $1,000. Yeah. That All it was was a gem, like a red gem it, uh, icon, mm-hmm. like the app icon, just so when people saw you open your phone and saw that icon, they know that you paid $1,000 and you're that rich. So it's a status thing. Mm-hmm. That's what that reminds me of. And the weird thing is that it sells. It's like true religion jeans or $700 or pieces of garbage. But you see him and you're like, hey, look, I have money. Yeah, exactly. I'm wearing, I'm exactly wearing jeans. He's wearing me. supreme clothes. Yeah. So, hype beasts. One guy got on Jeremy Renner's app and trolled all the fans and pretended like he was Jeremy Renner <laughs> and oh, told everyone no. he was going to watch porn. And everybody was like, what? Jeremy Renner wouldn't watch porn. What's going on? <laughs> and then everybody started trolling. Yeah, like... To the point where he had to shut his app down. There, I mean, it Ooh, got no. run by trolls. Because when I first heard this, I was like, I want to get on there and troll people. But, like, there was consistent accounts reoccurring of uh, O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson, like... No way. Like, I'm a huge Jeremy <laughs> Renner fan. I'd never pass up this opportunity. And he con- this person convinced them that he was actually O.J. Simpson. Casey Anthony made a profile, air quotes Casey Anthony, and then OJ Simpson's like, you're a terrible person. I can't believe that you would think you can get on here and make an account on Jeremy Renner's app. You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm stuck on how big of a narcissist he must be to it, make an app for that himself. Because huh? I've heard he's a great guy. Yeah, like, that's what I've heard too. Like <laughs> The whole situation like have a subreddit. is like hilarious. Like everyone else. There was constant complaints like... Like complaints filed every day. Like uh, Jeremy Renner ran a he ran a, a competition of who can donate the most money to this charity. It was a good cause, right? Right. People donated like crazy. So the winner can come hang out with me on the set of Avengers Endgame. And so they people found out about this contest and they're like, no, they can't. You can't bring a stranger on set, Jeremy. It's stupid. So he's like, oh, you can come have dinner with me then. And they're like, we don't want that. We want the opportunity to rub elbows with Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans. You, you, it's false advertising. People gave you a lot of money, and that's false advertising. I smell a lawsuit. And so he's like, I'm sorry. Come and have dinner with me. I'll invite cast members over. It'll be at my house. So the person won. And then like a month later, they're like, hey, I'm the person that won. I never had dinner at Jeremy's house. And he's like, yes, you did. And he posted a picture of them. And he's like, yeah, that's not me. <laughs> Dude, it's, just, it's, it's just people and so people were trolling. attacking him. They were attacking him. They're like, you are a liar. And he, Jeremy's like, here's pictures. Guys, here's pictures. So he just set up this place for like people to gather and talk about him and he just got trolled so bad. That is hilarious. He had to shut his app down. I love it so much. Like the number one complaint, they were like, this is like totalitarian China where I'm forced to give you my money. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, you're forced to be here. Like they they say it's as bad as being locked in a cage. (laughs) Other com is like the most, the most upvoted complaint on there. And they're like, I really hope Jeremy reads this so he can see how his fans feel about him right now. 
Oh my goodness, that is amazing. It I'm was, glad you brought that up. It is so, wild. It, so I remember funny. reading about that uh, yesterday and just being like, you "What? Know, I got about it yesterday world? too. What in the world?" Uh, yeah. So that's all so I wanted funny. to say is that it. Like I just watched this thing and it was like a 30 minute YouTube video, but it just brought so much laughter to my day. <laughs> and because the guy that made it is like, I really hope that you think about this, Jeremy, and think about what you've done to these people. <laughs> you created a safe space, but it turned out to be hell on earth. <laughs> my hellish safe space. I love how the internet is able to just like take on a persona like that and everyone just like falls into the line with the with whatever's happening in that particular thread. But or then whatever. there's people that I are completely it. clueless I know, and I come know, in and they're like, What is going on? That's, they're like, Why would Jeremy let OJ Simpson have a count here? He's like, Well, OJ's a big Renner fan, obviously. Well, you don't know who's trolling and who's he not, joined so. on he joined on the biggest day of the week, Wednesday, which is Ren's Day. <laughs> Oh my god! You can't be mad on Ren's Day. Uh, Are people that fanatic about Jeremy? Renner? Yes, apparently, dude. Like, I mean, he's he's an Avenger, but like, he he also is like a musician and stuff. So I guess I don't know. I mean, there's there's somebody that fanatic about everybody. That's true. But like, I don't know. Like, I just think of like young teenagers on like Instagram or something. Like, of course, of course, that happened. Uh-huh. And then people like me. <laughs> got on there and just made their life terrible and i say people like me because i'm assuming it's like people my age who who can read text and, and a similar build to you yeah and like but but more beard on the neck not okay. on the yeah, <laughs> um but you you can read a text and you can pick up the comedy in it you can pick up the sarcasm a lot of people can't do that so I don't, I don't know. I'm just so glad that this stuff didn't exist when I was young. Right? Because I don't know like, I'm how, gl- how I'm many glad how many lives too. I would have ruined just by being an <laughs> ass online. Just stupid. B- back when you had free time to just back when be I an asshole. Free time. What was What's that like? Free time. How is that pronounced again? Uh, can you use it in so a expensive. sentence? It's um, French. It's like Smollett. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's get started. Let's get this episode rolling. Um, we're it's going to be kind of like we did last time. We're, it's just going to be a grab bag of some things that we we had to, we want to talk about. Um, there's ever since the podcast started, there's been a lot of uh, we've had uh, a lot of ideas. <laughs> well, there's been there's been a lot of um, attacks on me personally for my history as a film student. Yeah, because we're the ones that always bring it up. It's never you. Yet again, here's another <laughs> attack. Unprovoked. Uh, it is just heinous and wild and uh, really just unprecedented. It's, it's. Uh, I mean, not unprecedented. It, it's it precedented. All the time on this podcast. So uh, Chris had the wonderful idea of, of talking about uh, pretentious film school. Um, so we're going to have kind of a grab bag. We have some questions that we're going to talk about, uh, where we talk about some things, uh, that you may talk about in film school. See, and the idea for this was Scott had a really good idea. Um, just, uh, Hey, let's do an episode on this. And then at the time we're all like, okay. And then we started doing research and we're like, this is not enough here. There's not enough here <laughs> for to an make an entire episode. An Scott, entire you're too episode. pretentious. 
<coughs> excuse me i need water i am dying so scotty had the idea we thought man this is this this is too specific and there's not enough content to to create a full episode on right. this and so what we've done now is we've stupid con- sexy scott <laughs> we've kind of put together uh, a group of or, or a a bunch of questions mm-hmm. uh, a hat full of a questions. hat full of questions, if you will, and uh, scenes from a hat. They're they're all questions f- about movies and stuff that you may discuss in film school. So it's going to be our pretentious film school questions <laughs> episode. So this is just for us. And and um, to preface, as a pretentious person would say, are we going to preface everything from now on? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what you do when you're in film school. Okay. Um. I, I was telling my wife Kylie about this idea, like, yeah, it's kind of an inside joke, it's like pretentious film school stuff. So this topic is like questions you would have in film school, what you learn, but it's also about just the pretentiousness of some films and what makes a movie pretentious and what, whatnot. So I asked Kylie this, and she's like, well, what does that mean? And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? What, do you, what does that mean? Like, it's a pretentious movie. And I think that that phrase is just kind of thrown out this nilly willy like, I didn't like that movie it's pretentious like well it wasn't you just didn't like the movie which is a, which is okay but pretentious really isn't the word used to describe it um, and when, when you google pretentious I'm, let me, well, let me well, do that really well, quick one, I, I know one of the um, grab bag questions here is what makes a movie pretentious maybe we should just start off with that one yeah let's, let's start with it that's a good idea I, I already drew it So pretentious means attempting to impress by affecting greater importance, talent, culture, et cetera, than is actually possessed. So I was like, so with that being said, Kylie, what's the most pretentious movie you've ever seen? She's like, Transformers. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, like, okay, like, (laughs) like, I I guess I don't want to say you're wrong. I was like, but I don't think you get what I'm saying here. So this might be kind of hard to explain. So like to me, a movie that seems pretentious is like a dumb movie where the the filmmakers are pretending like they're smart. Yeah. You know, like like they're placing more importance on their like the filmmaking than the film itself. So, so it's like it's like they're forcing it to be art. Yeah. In a way. It, it, it takes it. They often take themselves way too seriously. Mm hmm. Um, they have little humor, and when it, and when they do have humor, it's it it's not funny. I guess. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I guess it's kind of hard to nail down because it is. If you don't like a, if is. you don't like an artsy fartsy indie movie, you could just like your blanket statement insult. It's too pretentious. So, so but it's wh- not necessarily the case. One thing I have written down for it is. Um, they they often have lofty morals that don't line up with my worldview. Basically, mm-hmm. so, so going along with the whole, it, it's it, it in a lot of ways it is depends on context and it's depends on the person basically. So, yeah. So, I put down I put down on. that it uh, that the movie tries to be quote unquote. I'm putting air quotes here. Important, mm-hmm. or it tries to be "quote unquote" revolutionary. Yeah. Uh, it, it it tries to make a statement that False flat. they think is important, but they're the only ones. Yeah. Um, and they as in the filmmakers or the, the characters the in the movie? Okay. The filmmakers. And I think that... Um, yeah, yeah. So so it's kind of the filmmaker showing through the movie yeah. mm-hmm. type of thing. And I think, I think that it also kind of beats you around the head and neck with its intellectualism. Yeah. And then 
keeps going and even after the horse is dead it just keeps beating it and beating it and beating it um and i think i think a big part of a pretentious movie is, and i think probably the biggest part of it is the movie's fans yeah that makes sense i think i think the the movie's fans when you're like uh i don't get it <laughs> and the fans are like, oh, you're just not smart enough, or you're, you're not, you just, or you're like, I didn't like that movie, and they're like, you just didn't get it, you don't understand. Well, what and, they're the, trying- and that, that brings in the other half of this episode is that it's it, this episode isn't about pretentious movies; it's also about pretentious film students. So, so that that's that's kind of mm-hmm. like like the bridge. There. Yeah, Jake and his friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> something that I uh, that I wrote down on this, and, and, I, and I have examples too, but it's it's almost like the characters in the movie, whether you like them or not. So most of the time, they're designed to be like flawed people, which is fine. Yeah. But the characters are almost like better than what's going on around yeah, them. Yeah, and they're, they're flat because of they're that. intellectually yeah. superior. Yep. Uh, Garden State is basically look at how quirky we are. The movie. Like that's, yeah, that's yeah. kind of what it is. Um, but it's a story about <laughs> that, that's true. You know, is yeah. very similar. Uh, it, it's, it's like the um, the the characters in in a pretentious movie are looking down on the audience, mm-hmm. or, or or people around them, and yeah. they they don't ever really get the catharsis of they're not better than anybody. It's because they they're what what, what does Loki say? He's, um, blessed with glorious purpose or cursed with glorious purpose. Yeah, yeah. Like they're they're cursed with their intellect. Um, but Garden State is a story about like a quarter life crisis, a midlife crisis, about graduating and moving on and growing up. But like The Graduate with Dustin Hoffman is the exact same thing, but it wasn't told with this air of pretension. Like he wasn't he wasn't above what was going on around him. Right. He didn't have that air to him. And um I don't know, like pretentious movies have evolved so much. Like in the 90s, it was about how apathetic and uncaring you could be. Yeah. Um, but now those are the bad guys and pretentious college films about the environment or whatever. Um, I don't know. This is, this is yeah, a weird ramble, cool. but. No, that, that, that makes sense. Yep. Let's get into the grab bag. All right, let's start. Jake, you want to go first? I do. I stuck my hand out first. Did you give, grab two? Gimme, gimme, gimme. I did not. I only grabbed the one. Okay. What do you think makes a good producer? <laughs> um, so we got we got done talking about all this pretentious stuff, and this is this, this, is, this is something that that film school student would answer. Yes, and uh, this is a chance for us to, to flex our muscles, our pretentious muscles. Well, just stuff that we learned. Do you know how pretentious this episode is? We're making fun of pretentious movies. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of a self-referential joke. If you guys don't. So, um, coming from someone who has worked in the industry, I worked in the industry, um, but I, I have worked for TV shows. I've worked for movies. I worked on commercials. I've worked on short films and, uh, movies that went to theaters and, and I've worked for good producers and bad producers and, um, the the thing that makes a good producer uh for for someone who is working on a movie uh is planning pre-production mm-hmm. if if you have all your ducks in a row before you start anything on the movie uh 
and you you get everything planned out and every every day is planned out every every position on the film set is is it knows their job all the actors know where they're at like everybody's getting paid when and when, as much as they should when they should uh, it, it it is someone who is a meticulous planner and has all their ducks in a row that is a good producer uh, so, pre- um, oh sorry go ahead well, well i was just gonna ask because i think a lot of our audience doesn't know along with me is what exactly is a producer so job? let me i had something i wanted to say i'm sure jake could answer way better than me but um <laughs> a producer i feel like i mean they're cashing their million billion dollar checks sometimes but a lot of them, it's it's like a unthanked job, because like if you watch your the Emmys and they go, uh, this movie won Best Picture, and then neither the director or the actor gets up there and accepts the award. It's a producer. Like, well, who the hell is this guy? Um, that's the guy that made that movie what it is. He's the one that was paying Put the people together. to do it. Like the the director, his job is to, I mean the the producer that hired the director, they want the director to be. To, to fulfill their vision and he wants to provide a way for that director to do it but if you're not up to snuff the producer will fire you you know so he's trying to let you be and, and it sounds weird because it seems like the director has a lot of control and which he does but the, pro, the producer has more so, say so, so to, to liken it to sports the the <laughs> producer's the general manager the GM yeah, yeah and the so director's like, the coach a good producer Kevin Feige who's way up there on the producer list you know um but he's got a vision and he's hiring taika waititi to make thor ragnarok and it was the most taika waititi movie ever but it fit into this world that kevin feige is making he's a good producer kathleen kennedy in star wars is is an example of a bad producer because she will fire you if your artistic vision does not completely line up with hers so she may as well direct it herself but she doesn't want to so she's she's, okay so like that's why she fired uh the the guys working on solo um uh, lord and miller who make fantastic movies and she fired the colin trevorrow who's directing episode nine because what he had written down was not what she wanted so she wasn't able to let the director be as artistic as they wanted to be so she 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 has she's she can't let go of the control where someone like kevin feige goes as long as you hit these bullet points then i want so, you to so make the n- next movie you question want to make. is it seems like there's different types of producers because the movie can have 80 producers sometimes well but what, what does it mean when like steven spielberg produce produce helps produce uh um so uh, whatever that, that's movie. a good question because Beware of the title executive producer. Executive. Because executive producer, Kevin Feige is the executive producer of everything Marvel. Mm -hmm. And that guy puts everything together, puts it all in a row. But he doesn't do much as far as on the actual movie. I don't know. By the way, I'm I'm making guesses. I mean, they they pass notes. Like like in the Guardians of the Galaxy, Thanos was in it. That wasn't in Kevin... Kevin, what's his name? Gunn. Yeah. That wasn't in his script, but he right. had to add it. Um, but like Steven Spielberg produced this movie uh, or helped produce this movie. It yeah. Means, Super 8, for example. It, he, yeah. He, he produced, so it means, it means that he had an idea. Someone brought him an idea. He liked it. He went out and found 
uh, a director, found a found a cast, found the people, found a casting director, found these people to put together the movie. I doubt Steven Spielberg did much as far as like the dirty work of producing, yeah. but he kind of put the team together that was able to and, make and do, do they, that movie. And I assume they give some uh, creative direction or not not direction, but but notes and stuff and, to yeah, the director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they definitely because because Super Eight in particular was very Spielbergian. Mm-hmm. Well, it but it was. Um, what's but his Spielberg, name? so Spielberg knows everyone, yeah. right? Yeah, he knows everyone. So he was able to put get uh, another producer. He was able to get a director. He was able to get a screenwriter or or get someone who was able to do yeah, rewrites for so the J.J. Abrams that directed mm-hmm. it. So he was able to get all these people that he knew would put a movie together that feels like his movie. Right. Okay. And so that's kind of what, uh, what, what, and, and I mean, this is coming from my very limited brain. So bear with me, take all this with a huge grain of salt. Um, but that, so when it says like produced, but sometimes it'll just say presented by Mm -hmm. the, the mortal engines movies, uh, that movie, I know that's just them putting their name on something presented by Peter, Peter Jackson. And it's like uh, Peter Jackson read the book, liked it, and said, "Oh, yeah. cool! I'm glad you're making th- a movie." There's a lot of those with uh, Tim Burton, where, where yeah. they're Tim Burtony, and so he puts his yeah, name like on he it. did not direct Nightmare Before Christmas, no, yeah, yeah, but he put his name on it. And he made that movie famous, mm-hmm. and so they'll pay him money to put his name on it. Gotcha, basically. Um, so uh, that, that's kind of uh, now, like Chris uh, said, there's different aspects of, produ- of producing. I like. There's unit there like there's unit production managers. A UPM is very different than a producer, but a UPM is is the person who makes sure everybody gets paid, who makes sure everything. Uh, there there's people line producers who who make sure everything is happening on set, make sure that all the support stuff is in in place. There's there's all these different uh, production jobs in the production part of the filmmaking process mm-hmm. that are quote unquote producers there's uh but they're not the the producer gotcha um so we're talking about the producer but anybody who works in production i it still stands that they need to be a meticulous planner and be prepared beforehand for anything so they're, they're um, often not the, the creative. They have some creative input sometimes, but for the most part. But for the most part, they're the ones that, okay, we're shooting this scene in this yeah, location the today. The and then they get to that location and they say, oh, it's going to rain today. I have the backup location and backup scenes oh, that we're okay. shooting because I knew that we're shooting outdoors. And if you're shooting outdoors, it might rain. If it rains, then we're going we're gonna to go and shoot this backup scene and this look. And so it's stuff like that. They are. And, um, they they even have like backup actors in case someone backs out. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, Glenn Howerton was almost, he was the backup star Lord. If something happened to Chris Pratt, they have like these backup backup Mm -hmm. quarterbacks. So, It, it, there's a lot of different producers. There's a lot of different production jobs. So, so what, but, what I have written down um, for what makes a, a producer good is um, I, I kind of likening it again to a um, sports organization or franchise. Um, like the general manager, I think a good producer 
and not always the case, but it, just like a good general manager, if they're a fan first, it comes through in the movie. That's he, a good because good because because if you're a fan of filmmaking or or the product that you, that you want to put out, you're going to be hiring the the right people to get that out there, and mm-hmm. and you're going to be making the decisions that maybe maybe it, you cut some money out because or you have to spend a little more money because it's going to make the pro, the product better because you you want the product to be good because you're a fan of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that would make a good producer. It's a good point. That's a really good point. I like it. That was a long answer for that question. Yeah. Cool. Here you go, Scott. You're okay. next. So excited. All right. Who is the best screenwriter of all time? <laughs> go ahead. Should I? I'm going to go ahead and say... Um, <gasps> Judd Apatow. I'm just kidding. Oh, gosh. I was like, uh, <laughs> dude. <laughs> Jake, you go. I was just kidding. No, I want to hear you guys first. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to step on toes here, but I'm going to say Coen Brothers. They were on my short list. Mm-hmm. They, uh, I mean, so many good movies. And the, the, way that, the way they do dialogue is very direct, and it makes for really funny jokes. So I guess the, the first question is, what what does a screenwriter do? Screenwriter, I mean, comes up with a story, mm-hmm. unless it's an adapt- adaptation in which they adapt the story. Right. But um, they have to make it fit into a visual medium. Mm-hmm. They But they literally write the script. Yeah, yeah. they write the they script. Li- they write the and, script. And, 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 and a screenplay... Um, Jake's written screenplays. I've I've taken class on on screenwriting. Um, it's a, it's a really interesting way to write stories because typically when you when you sit down to write a story, you just say this person. You kind of just list out mm-hmm. things that happen and conversations that happen. In screenwriting, you have to write it as an action. And this, everything's an action. Everything is visual. And the only thing you write is what's on screen. Exactly. And you don't write. You yeah. don't write what they're thinking. You yeah. don't write what unless it's a narrator what their, or motor, but, what but their motivation of, is. Yeah. You don't write any of and that. We've stuff. alluded to this stuff in, in the past. Like we talked about Mad Max and John Wick and stuff and how they storyboarded this. This is what the screenwriter does. Mm-hmm. So if you've been listening to us, we we've talked about this. We've just never given it the name that that they are, uh, the screenwriter and what their job is. The Coen Brothers. To um, they've written movies like Ra- Raising Arizona, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, Fargo, The Big Lebowski, um, many many more. But th- those are some examples of movies that they have written. Oh, yeah, why why do you pick them, Scott? Because like I was talking about the and I think a big trap people get in when they when they talk about oh the writing was so good was all all they the only. Thing that they are really talking about is the dialogue. The dialogue was, was so good, and they and they conflate that with that's all screenwriting is, which it isn't. Mm-mm. I mean, dialogue is a big part of screenwriting, but it's it's not everything. But their dialogue is fantastic. Their, their dialogue is, I think, what stands out in their. It, it, I mean, it's it's you're telling a story. Like the screenwriter comes up with the story and the characters and everything. Um, They're but, also a little different as they write and direct, and direct. all of their own movies. So. They can kind of write, rewrite scenes on the day, yeah, and not worry about stepping on anyone's toes. And, and they're ones as directors where they don't 
they, they don't get they don't um they're pretty strict and you, you the actor says exactly what's on the screen oh yeah you, the, there's the, no there's, the, no, there's, ad there's, there's no ad living in their movies with their sure. movies yep um and just knowing that and then how well how tight and how well how good the the um dialogue is it just makes it, it, I love it I love how the well the story build. comes together yeah it's, it's amazing it, 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 it all feels very buttoned up and tight it kind of like a Wes Anderson feel where it's like they're funny but serious wait did you really just bring good. Wes Anderson up in a, in a show in an episode about <laughs> pretentious <laughs> films yeah weird okay I mean, it's bound to happen Let's um, hear your, uh, so and and I I was been asked the question before of my favorite director um, which I think at the time I said uh, Fincher, David Fincher. Um, but he also happens to be my favorite screenwriter. Um, and it's the way that he, not only the dialogue in the scene, but the way the dialogue is unfolded to you uh, in the scene. And, um, and I, I guess I don't want to touch on too many points because we have a lot of questions that may bring this up. Um, but I'll just give a few examples of like the movie seven. Um, they have these conversations and it's really snappy writing. The writing really like pulls you in. Um, and it's, it's just really good dialogue is like the people that are talking are super, super smart, but it's accessible. Like you can get what they're saying. Mm. Um, but the, what they're looking at in the, in the screen tells so much like of the story right and like they they have like one scene will have like three camera shots or something and then it'll show brad pitt's perspective and it'll cut back to morgan freeman morgan freeman's not looking about at brad pitt but he's talking about him and you can tell that the other camera shot is brad pitt looking at him while he's talking about him and then it cuts to brad he's like hey man i'm right here and the camera cuts again and now morgan's looking at brad so I was like, it's that's so smart, so subconscious, like something that just happens like this, and you can pick up on it just from like the, an angle or something. So that's crazy. And and the writing in it too is just oh man, like I don't know what it is. I'm not even like a fan of true crime. That that's like almost all that he does. Um, but there's something about the way that he writes his scenes, his screenwriting. It just really speaks to me. Yep. Cool. Okay. My favorite. And I think the best screenwriter of all time is uh, William Goldman. Oh, man. William Goldman wrote the novel of The Princess Bride. Mm -hmm. And then he wrote the screenplay for the movie The Princess Bride. Uh, he wrote, <laughs> I wrote in my notes here, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm -hmm. But uh, my phone autocorrected to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. <laughs> uh, I've seen that movie. Yeah. Using enough dynamite there? It's the sun pants. Uh, <laughs> uh, all the president's men, marathon man. I mean, his, when you look at his writing uh, catalog, it's just nonstop. It just goes and goes and goes. William Goldman, and he didn't do a lot of directing either. So he did the writing. Uh, and those movies and those, I've read the, the Princess Bride novel and it's fantastic so he's not just a good screenwriter either he's a good I, I writer that, that in one general. in particular is a good is a good example of someone that knows the rules so well that they break them yeah absolutely you know? that absolutely. whole book is just like a troll too he's like yeah I it, piss off as many people as possible it's exactly <laughs> what it is um and, and and this uh goldman he's in the pretentious film student 
uh, circles, he's very he's held in very high regard. I, oh, yeah. I had a uh, Billy Wilder on my phone. And I was going to show you Ooh. guys uh, if Jake picked him. I was going to be like, look, I guessed it, but he didn't pick him. I uh, you thought uh, Billy Wilder is on my short list, but like. So if you were to ask filmmakers, like a, a filmmaker's filmmaker, Bill, Billy Wilder is their a screenwriter's idol because mm-hmm. he can he can write it all. Mm-hmm. Where Fincher can just write like pervy murder stories. <laughs> um, Billy Wilder can write like a double indemnity, but then some like it hot in the same mm-hmm. year. Yeah. So he's not typecast at all. Mm-mm. Billy Wilder's a great one. Also, we didn't mention Tarantino because he might be the best screenwriter working today. Yeah. yeah. And he's funny because he is working towards that goal. Like he he has that he he's he's stated that that's his goal is to be regarded as one of the best screenwriters. I mean, I don't like hearing that, but he's not wrong. Yeah. So and, and I, I I honestly, I, anytime anybody in that type of a position is super honest about their feelings like that, it's like I respect it. Like I'm, I think it's. I mean, I guess I respect it, but like hearing Kobe Bryant say his only goal is to pass Michael Jordan, you're like, well, that's not going to happen, bud. I guess it depends on if you like the person or not. (laughs) Well, I I don't know. I I guess it does. Because like, I I don't know Quentin, like maybe he's an a-hole. He seems like he's an a-hole, like the way that he, he's so eccentric, but if he's honest with his goals, I don't know. He just wanders around houses, staring at (laughs) walls walls and and pictures. That's one it? of my favorite new memes is Quentin Tarantino walking around a house staring at <laughs> I have not seen on this. The this is interesting. It's a funny meme. I'll, I'll have to look it up. Yeah. I'll show you after this episode. All right. Next thing. Moving on. Grab bag here. <laughs> okay. Pitch your idea for a short film. <laughs> Picture. Um, Trademark right now. We're trademarking this. Short film. No steelsies. Does it have to be a short film? No, okay. I have a, I have, I have a, my screenplay. For, I have a screenplay already written for a TV series, um, of a group of. Tell me if you've heard this before. A group of overweight thirty-year-old, thirty-something-year-old people that are uh, kind of lazy and don't do too much. Does um, that sound familiar? It's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, the Cold Bowl podcast. Um, so it's these group of guys. It's the 80s. It's in Wisconsin. They Middle are America. in a bowling league. Uh, they find out that they're bowling. The guy who owns the bowling alley that they go to is selling the bowling alley to a local or to a, a national chain of uh, garden stores and he's leaving and moving to Boca Raton. So, <laughs> so these guys try and find out what they're going to do. And the youngest of them says, we should do ice bowling. And they said, what's ice bowling? And he says, yeah, come look. And they go and they find the seedy underworld of underground curling. Mm. And then they start their own curling team and join the curling league underground league in wisconsin in wisconsin in the 80s in fond du lac wisconsin uh and uh then you follow their antics of how they eventually go to the 1984 uh olympics where this is the first time curling was in the winter olympics (laughs) so 
That uh, that was my baby that I wrote through college, and um, I'm still kind of tweaking. And what, what were you gonna call it? Uh, right now, the, the curling boys is the uh, curly boys. Curling oh. boys is the uh, curly boys. I like curly boys. Uh, that's uh, that's the working title. Um, please, awesome nobody premise. steal that. You you can definitely work on the title, but it's an awesome premise. Um. I missed my shot because the United States won gold in curling in the last Winter Olympics, and I really should have tried to sell that idea back in, uh, a couple months ago, yeah. but a couple of years ago. Hmm. But there's my pitch for my um, show. So, and this and this is like me getting personal, um, but I have been in my head writing premises to movies since I was a kid. Um I, I, I mean, I even brought this up like with like a therapist before. Um, not not that it's like weird, but like, I, I guess a lot of people do this. Um, but when you're in bed and you can't sleep at night or whatever, like I just I'm like I'm writing a story and I've been doing it forever since I was a kid. Um, but mine kind of le- lends itself more towards like a video game, something like that. Like I, I built a world. And then I found the world of like Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, oh, this would be perfect for D&D. But anyway, I digress. Um, so I, I guess I had like uh, like a pitched video game in my head of like a, a world, like post-apocalyptic world. In a world. Yeah, in a world. Um, but it was like, <laughs> and, and, and it's, as a movie, it'd be impossible to make. There's no way you could afford it all. Um, but people not having knowledge of earth before the apocalypse. So like if you were in Vegas, they just called that like the city of lights. And if you were in New York, it's like the city of glass or Chicago is a city of fire or something like that. Um, and then I even wrote this in my head. I wrote it. And then, uh, I saw like there was some preteen books that came out. It was all city of bones. And I was like, (laughs) I, I saw on the shelf and, and that was that was forever ago too, um, and then I thought that like people's names would be like old advertisements, old, old advertising oh, that you yeah, saw. So, like cool. the main character was named Target, and it was like or, or Targe or something. It's like something that you saw, like like your parents just like went outside and they looked and they saw like. So it's post-apocalyptic, but it pulls in. Mm-hmm. So listen, it's like, extends. Get out here. <laughs> it's your brother Gillette. I know. But it's something like that, like uh, like it maybe like it's almost, it was almost worshipped, like these words, and not not everyone can read them, and so you were you were given a name, and it was something they found from the old world. Uh, it's I don't know, it's just something that I've been like in my doing in my head for a long time. It's a cool um, concept. It's yeah. a cool world, for sure. So that's uh, I mean I, I have a story, but I could go on and on and on. But that's the basic basic premise of it right there. Which is not a short film, not at all what I wrote down on my question. You should uh, you should film it like Strange Brew type post apocalyptic. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> they're all wearing toques. <laughs> Take off, you hoser. Um, so I don't really have a. Uh, I guess I did write a a short film, and, and I kind of wanted to focus on something that was more realistic to film, like myself. So it's, it all takes place in a uh, in a gas station, um, and it's just about a guy um, who's afraid to commit to uh, 
going to uh, medical school, basically. It's like an internal battle thing, and then that's the internal battle, and then the external battle is someone robs the bank. I can't, or not bank, but robs the the store, and then somebody. No, what what was it? Someone needed a tracheotomy, and he needed, and he had to like use a pen to stab him, and he was scared. Anyway, oh, I was like, it, you're describing clerks right now oh, until the very end. Until anyway, the anyway that, that's Fight that's, Club. The scene yeah. Fight Club. So so so, yeah, I, I wrote that one. It, it was. It was okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, I didn't mean to crap all over. No, no, like, it, it's, it's hard. Uh, the writing and stuff's hard. It is, um, but I had a lot of fun writing it, and it was it was more of like flexing muscles of like just getting stuff onto page and stuff. It's really fun. I mean, not not to bring D and D into every episode, but that's that's the kind of stuff that happened, like film writing or, or screenwriting, and then. We played D&D, like, make a character. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then I sent Jake a six-page PDF. And Jake's like, dude, what the hell? <laughs> he was playing once. And I was like, I don't know, man. I just got carried away. Yeah. This is, this is, it's, it's, it's a really fun outlet. Mm-hmm. Yep. All Good right. stuff. Let's go. Okay. Next. We've only got a couple more minutes. Up. And we've got some good, uh, good questions in there. We're not doing that one. <laughs> Let me see it. I won't say it all. Do this one. <laughs> That's so. <laughs> well, okay. So I can't believe you crumpled that one up. <laughs> this is this is uh, in reference to um, this is in reference to uh, last week. Okay. The the episode we did last week it says in honor of the Joker coming out soon, what movie has the best use of an unreliable narrator? So it's funny when you when you said this one in the so Chris sent this one in the chat as like it was like the kind of the catalyst for this whole episode. <clears throat> um, I, I was thinking like man, that's it's kind of hard to think of them, um, but my kids were watching Boss Baby, and Boss Baby is an unreliable. That's true. That's uh, true. They, yeah. That's the, the, definitely true. Because it's all through the lens of the of the kid, and it's all just kind of craziness happening. That's a like, I, dude, you're shattered my entire universe. It, that, that, it's, in fact, it's a perfect example. <laughs> yeah, because it's told through the kid's perspective, yeah. and this is like kind of how they see. And, that and they make person. it obvious, like the whole chase in the backyard. Whoever's seen it, like they have this big epic chase where these babies are chasing this like. Uh, eight-year-old kid or whatever around the backyard and like they're doing these epic jumps and stuff and then the parents look out the back window and they're going like two miles an hour like <laughs> just dragging really slow along the grass and so it's like a it shows perfectly that it's a unreliable anyway that's not the best one but that's a really good example of one um so i had two lined up in here you want me i to have go my first or? i no, I'll just okay. say I, I think the best movie that has an unreliable narrator is Life of Pi. Oh, dude, yeah, um, that's I had deep conversations about this movie after I saw it. Yeah. Do you know what I think, I think is the best? Are you gonna steal it? Sorry. Are you gonna steal somebody else's? Sorry. Oh, oh. I, I <laughs> I, I, and then I was going to say, and, and I, I think I may be stepping on someone's toes here by saying, by doing two, but I think my favorite is The Usual Suspects. Mm-hmm. Have you seen The Usual Suspects with Kaiser Soze? And, uh, I, I almost watched it on the... You if know. you don't know the twist, I suggest you watch that as soon as possible. As soon as possible, because you'll find it and it's... Uh, but that one's my favorite movie 
with an unreliable narrator is the and it's literally suspects. the whole movie mm-hmm. like yeah that's a i mean it's it's a good pick so between those two i mean i have i have a whole list of great movies with an unreliable narrator but those i think that's the life of pi is my is the best movie it won an oscar so mm-hmm. obviously <laughs> And then, uh, that's a great movie. It's and then the, movie. my favorite is The Usual Suspects. Because his unreliable narration is told through trauma mm-hmm. and how he coped with the tragedy. And how he coped with the trauma. So, oh. so my, mine it was a, uh, it's a, uh, it was it was a huge cultural phenomenon at the time because of the big twist is uh, Sixth Sense. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. That's yeah. a good one. Sure. That's great. No, that that's a good one, and I, I guess I don't know if we we made it clear. So I'll, I'll give, <laughs> we haven't we I'll haven't give, explained what an th- this, oh, yeah, this isn't my pick, but the movie Fight Club. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's on my short list. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, Fight Club has a twist that basically the whole movie it, it was happening, but not uh, a character didn't exist. It, it happened. It, it was in his in his head. So unreliable narration is when a story is being told to you by a person who's unreliable uh and who's biased in their story in, in jake's case he may not be telling the whole truth in your case uh scott uh the, the child is you're seeing things through his eyes mm-hmm. which i really like through his bias yeah i really like like when someone new comes in and they're like shady like who's that person but it's just somebody visiting yeah like like rugrats did that a lot too yeah. like yeah yeah um fight club is, is told through a person who's crazy um, my favorite unreliable narrator um, is is Forrest Gump. Um, oh yeah, because Forrest Gump he's a little slow. I, I think he has autistic. I don't know if it's controversial to say that, um, but he has autism. Uh, he's a great dude, but every single person he meets, he was a nice guy, and he was not a nice guy. Um, but he experiences all of these things, and he doesn't quite understand them. But he was around for all of it. Um, so I, I think that's that's a use of the unreliable narrate, narration, where the audience knew more than the the yeah, actor. Yeah, that's a really good example. Rather than vice versa, where like a movie like Memento, you only know as much as the person telling the story does. There's like Gone Girl, where mm-hmm. it's it. Gone Girl that one is, flips it on its head, and it it's even it's literally being narrated by Rosalind Pike too, by by someone who has a vested interest in you believing not <clears throat> the opposite of what actually happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's no, it's cool. Uh, I love not, uh, not unreliable narration, and you can almost make it in almost every movie. It seems like you can make it a, a, an argument that if there's some, a, there's, if there's some, a twist ending that then. some part of it was was through like the, through the through the lens inceptions yeah. an unreliable narrator yeah mm-hmm. yep okay next up let's move on all right is it your turn spot or is it mine yep, i already have mine picked <laughs> this, oh, really this one's all crinkled up i wonder why it's all crinkled up jake <laughs> this one is <laughs> um, this one should be fast what's your favorite phrase that any a pretentious film student says or yeah your favorite your favorite pretentious film student saying <laughs> I, I don't i don't even know what pretentious film students would even say like i don't i don't, I don't understand the question yeah it's weird i, d- I don't understand the question so, and so i won't here, respond to they it they say here's, yeet they say yolo uh mine is it's actually pronounced con 
Wait, what is this? <laughs> the Con Film Festival. Oh. It's, it's, Instead it's, of cans. It's, con. it's uh, spelled C-A-N-N-E-S. It's actually pronounced con. Uh, my favorite is always, oh, they just don't like make them like they used to. <laughs> I really, uh, okay, fine. I really like, uh, oh, uh, what, what is it? Well, I was at Sundance this year. I watched. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a good uh, opening too. Or, or I have two actually, and the other one is uh, my favorite movies. I can't decide between my favorite movies of Pulp Fiction, Fight Club, and Boondock Saints. Boondock Saints. <laughs> <laughs> Boondock Saints. Wait, isn't that a quote from something? From, uh, well, it it's has to be from it's, The Office. Well, The Office. The, the kid says, uh, "Like the edgy kid." Yeah, he says Boondock Saints, and what is it? Um, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. <laughs> my favorite movies are Citizen Kane and Boondock Saints. <laughs> All right, next one. Next one. Uh, do you think this will be our last one? Nah, let's keep moving. All right, because this one we can answer really fast. What is the best foreign language movie that you've ever seen? Ooh. Okay. It takes a certain level of uh, pretension, maybe not from you, but from people that observe you to be like, why are you watching that movie? It's not in English. Mm-hmm. So my... You always have to like explain why you're watching a foreign movie. So uh, Seven Samurai. It's a good movie. That's my favorite one. Kurosawa? Akira Kurosawa. I watched that. In this is another pretentious film film soon thing is like naming the director of the movie. Oh, it's a Kurosawa. Oh, it's a Kurosawa. Is that an Aronofsky? Oh. Is that an Aronofsky? Yeah. It's like a Y um, or something. But Akira Kurosawa is probably the best, the best foreign film director. Um, and... <coughs> And he is, and his movie Seven Samurai is my favorite movie. Is his? Uh, it's which, good to see that non-Americans can make movies. <laughs> I, I just love. Do they have electricity it. in Japan? <laughs> is that exactly uh, <laughs> with their neon lights in Tokyo? I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> um, but Seven Samurai is the basis for everything. It, like a bug's life is is that's. Seven Samurai, the Bugs Life took Seven Samurai and put it to Bugs. Um, the Magnificent Seven took Seven Samurai and put it in the Old West. Uh, so did the three stu- or the three, three amigos. amigos. Put took Seven Samurai, made it because. put jokes into it and put it in the Old West. Um, it, that Seven Samurai movie is fantastic and foreign and foreign. <laughs> Um, Do you see how far they've come? It's yeah. just amazing. Those foreigners. <laughs> um, my favorite, and and not necessarily my favorite. It's just the one that like. This is funny. I was gonna say this is the one that opened my eyes to foreign filmmaking. The movie's literally called "Open Your Eyes." <laughs> Abra los ojos. <laughs> um, it's a Penelope Cruz movie. Came out in 1997. It's uh, Vanilla Sky, but it, but the original was uh, made in Mexico. Um, that movie blew my mind. I, mean, I don't know if it stands up as well today because I was younger when I saw it, but it was just like so deep and like just really, really well made. And then when I saw Vanilla Sky, this sucked. This sucked in comparison. <laughs> um, but that was one of the first movies that would like, I was like willing. To, I, I mean, and when you're like 
13 14 you don't think about watching foreign foreign films oh yeah um but that's that's reason why i watched something like amelie and and then like jackie chan those are all foreign movies we yeah, all grew I up watching so. those yeah um oh yeah hero Kong was Cinema. almost yeah hero was almost mm-hmm. my pick there um so yeah like jackie chan movies the, the raid the, the most violent action movies like ever made like the raid is a foreign film indonesia uh, tony yeah. jaw movies like uh the protector or ongbok those are foreign mm-hmm. movies and they're all really good yep. so i mean it's it's something that it's probably something you've watched before you just didn't realize that it, it was labeled under the title pan's labyrinth film. yeah exactly yeah. all right so before you guys start naming uh, my movie i'll say mine <laughs> oh sorry i didn't think you were gonna do kung fu <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> Um, mine is mine's one that uh, I think it's probably the first foreign film I saw as a kid. It really hit me hard. This almost was my pick. It's Jake knows what it is. It, it, it's it's kind of a favorite in the Gifford household as far as these movies go. Anyway, it's called Life Is Beautiful. Is that a foreign film? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's all Italian. What, what is yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's Italian. Um, it's uh, it's about or an Itali- Italian Jew. During, uh, yeah, so I'm looking up a, a, a Jewish Italian waiter during World War II. He's in a concentration camp with his son, and it's it is the most beautiful movie. Oh my goodness! It, it I remember it hitting me so hard, and I, and I was young. I was probably like twelve, maybe thirteen, mm-hmm. something like that. And it like I remember staying up that night, like almost all night, thinking about it. It was it's so good. Um, Fantastic movie. He, he's basically just like he won the he, he won the Academy Award I think that year for best actor. Um, it, it won the the Academy Award for best foreign film mm-hmm. for sure. It was great. It I, was, I remember his acceptance. Remember he he ran down he he ran on top of the seats. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> he's such a he's such an interesting person. It was it's an awesome movie. All right. Okay. Next up. Next up. Uh, okay, so th- this is one that I think Chris brought in. Why are camera angles important? And I don't know what you're talking about here. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> something that I... Uh, so you watch a movie and and uh, cameras pointed a certain way, a certain direction. Um, I, I guess an example I wanted to use is um, the movie... Again, I can't think of it. Hannibal, uh, Silence of the Lambs, Silence of the Lambs, um, and, and I, I've seen countless studies of just this one scene, and it's the first time that Clarice Starling meets Hannibal Lecter, um, and the camera angle, he, like Hannibal's in a prison behind glass, but he has all of the power in the scene and it's kind of set up through camera angles and, and this is something that we talked about in like game of thrones where um the positioning of the camera shows that tywin lannister has more power than the king sitting on his throne uh same same concept for hannibal lecter where he's in he, jail he's in jail he's behind glass um and the way that they position the camera is she sits down and he's literally looking down at her and she she comes to him for help for information and he's just toying with her and he's just screwing with her and they they do this thing it's really interesting they whenever she asks him a question and he's being like a civil person 
um, you can see him behind the glass and he's not very threatening, you know, he's, but then when he decides to ramp it up, the camera goes in there with him and it's a straight shot on his face, you know, and he's just looking at you almost directly. And he's, I, I ate his liver with farva beans and a side of Chianti, you know, and like every exchange that they have, if it was like a tennis match, like, like point counterpoint point counterpoint he he wins every time so she literally has no power in the scene with the predator being behind glass and like not only is it well acted well ex- well well edited even um but the the way that they position their camera uh kind of helps set it up I, th- I think this is interesting to talk about because uh, um i have a feeling that a lot of people don't realize how intentional every little thing in a movie is. Well, from a, like a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. So like even bad movies, there's thought behind the camera angle. Maybe it was the wrong decision, but they, but, but there's a lot of intention behind every, even the, even Mm -hmm. like, like a 10th of a degree that they, they, they are, agonizing yeah. over like like i brought up fincher earlier and the, the way they show conversation like i said with morgan freeman uh the way they have the camera pointed at him and he's not even looking um something like the born movies paul greengrass um he will do like a shaky cam which mm-hmm. is annoying but he'll do it for conversations and it's kind of like over somebody's shoulder and you can see their shoulder and it's kind of zoomed in yeah. but it makes it feel like this is a super secret conversation and you should not be hearing it right now so, so th- there's another really good example and it's a Cohen movie it's the uh, the one in Hollywood with uh, uh, Magic Mike okay. Channing Tatum oh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, Channing Tatum what was that one called I, it's, I like, it's like old Hollywood I didn't even know they worked with him anyway uh, th- there's this conversation he's having with the movie producer and it's all the, the camera angle is usually over the shoulder when you're doing a conversation like that but the camera's like set at the would be set at the person's chest so looking up and it's really tight and the way it does it it just it just produces this feeling of like the, the, it, 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 I don't know it, it Hail Caesar the, Hail Caesar that's what it's called um, it's, it's a really interesting way to do it and it gives the scene a completely different feeling had it been just regular over the shoulder so what you've asked here, Chris, is an entire college course oh, well, yeah. worth of worth of questions in this. Uh, there's things like, are they on the right side of the screen or the left side of the screen? Mm-hmm. The left side of the screen is a strong part of the screen. Mm-hmm. The screen, the right side is a weak part of the screen. And, and are they framing are they has a lot to do with high, it. Are they and, down low? Are yeah. they looking down? Are they looking up? Are they there's there's a lot that goes into cinematography and why the different camera angles that are chosen are chosen and what now, what even, gives even what someone lens power they use. what lens they use is it is the like a fish shallow eye, depth of fish field makes someone look sick or something mm-hmm. like is the is the shallow depth of field or a, or a or a deep depth of field something that's going to produce a more the more the the better um emotional effect on yeah on things like scene. like like the graduate you brought up that that scene where he's running to the church mm-hmm um, they use a really long lens and zoomed all the way in, and they, they were like two streets back because the, the zo- they had a really big lens that was zoomed way in. And when you do that, it compresses the the, um, the visual field, and so it looks like when he's running, he's not getting anywhere. No, okay. so, so because the the way that lens is set up, it makes it seem so fatal. Like he's not he's not running he's running super fast, but he's not doesn't seem like not he's moving, moving at all. Yeah, it's a 
Like, like, I realize there's more that goes, that goes into, into it, it, but I, I just think that it, it's, it's, I think it ultimately it's a way to make your audience feel a certain way without even them realizing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's just uh, changing the way that they perceive the natural, the world around them. Um, changing that is it. Yeah. Well, like you said, it changes the way they feel mm-hmm. about it. Cool. Moving on. All right. This is, this is actually, this one is actually the uh, topic that I had brought up that we talked about that uh, we couldn't fit in a full episode. It is, what is the best use of a dolly zoom? Dolly. So dolly zoom, for no, those who don't know what it is, it, I think it was first used in Vertigo. It's when the, what's, what's far away comes closer and what's close goes further away. And so it all kind of compresses in on itself. Yeah. Um, or the opposite. Or the opposite. What's it, close it, comes it, closer and uh, what's far goes farther. Yeah, it's, it's what you think of when you think of Vertigo, the movie. Mm-hmm. When he looks, he, the, he looks down the stairs mm-hmm. and everything close gets closer and everything far gets farther. So is it yeah. literally so, them zooming out while pushing the camera physically towards their face? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or... Or the opposite. Yeah, or the opposite. Okay. Or pushing in while zooming out, or pulling, or pulling the camera so, so back. So the, the while goal of it in. is to keep the the zoom, same zoom boundaries, boom, boom. The, the, like what's in frame, the same boundaries of the frame, but with with a tighter angle, angle, and a further away, or or vice versa. Yeah. yeah. So so, a lot of times it'll, you'll have a person's face in the camera, and the per and the size of their head in the frame will not change. Mm-hmm. So the size of the head will stay the same, but the everything everything else just kind of and what it, a lot of times what it's meant to do, like in Vertigo, it makes it feel like he's higher yeah. up when he looks down the staircase and it he has a fear of heights and and it makes him feel like he's even higher. But in in other cases, it's meant to isolate the character, so it makes the character feel alone, or it makes it, it has a a definite emotional response it's usually every used, single used time for it like when an individual either like realizes something re- realizes the big twist or um something crazy just happened and and they're reacting and their their brain is like warped uh, or whatever like watching them think so I'll, I'll share my favorite one first um it's it's one that i realized was a dolly zoom re- recently and i guess i'll share mine so people at home will know like this is probably the most common use of it and for our audience and that's uh lion king when simba sees yeah. the uh, the antelope yep. charging down and it, they didn't do it in the new movie and it just did not feel like as impactful like it's the, interesting that you're bringing movie. up an animated movie too yeah because I, I even thought so too because like it's it's fabricated it's, it's a fabricated cool. dolly zoom yeah um, super cool but when the they run down and they zoom in on simba's face and you hear that like ah and like you're screwed yeah. <laughs> and he makes that face of terror and then the new movie he's a stone face he's like Chris, Chris that. that, that's a that's an awesome pick mm. um yeah they, that one i think is my favorite use of it and probably just to give you at home a picture because it's really hard to explain with words but just to give you a picture in your head because it in that scene it, it zooms in on simba's face but the behind him everything becomes bigger Mm-hmm. So it starts out from far and it zooms in. It so. definitely has a like a very specific emotional response. Yeah, that it creates. Okay, Scott. Mine is Jaws. When the I think it's the first shark attack that he witnesses on the beach, mm-hmm. and right after he says, "That's one bad hat, Harry." Yeah, that's one bad hat, Harry. And then, uh, and then he's sitting on the beach, and 
Isn't that when they yell shark? Yeah. The little boy gets eaten. Yeah, and and the dolly zoom on the on the main protagonist and, oh, and, and it, everything changes it from that point. And it isolates him. Yep. Because he is He's now because he wanted to close the beaches. And he had the power to close the beaches, yep. but he let the mayor of the town strong arm him into leaving the beaches open. And so and now and then as soon as he realizes that there's a there's been a shark attack, it's this it isolates him from everyone and now he's alone. Is and he the sheriff in town? Like yeah, is that yeah, he's a sheriff. Yeah. What a movie, man. And like this it is, is the sheriff he, of town to kill a shark. And now it's his tur- it now now all of it rests on him. And in that moment, he realizes I screwed up. Another person is dead because of me, and it's all on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And exactly. the, and it's all told through that dolly zoom. It's very yeah, very it's fantastic. Poignant. And what's interesting is I read the book, and in the book they describe a dolly zoom. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's called pretentious Oz. <laughs> let's see. So. My, the th- I had three in my list. I had Vertigo. Surprise, surprise. I had Vertigo, I had Jaws, and I had Fellowship, King. Fellowship of the Ring. Oh. Um, when they're, they've they've fall, they've been charged, they've been chased by Farmer Maggot. Oh, dude. They fell down the hill. They're on the road. Um, the other three hobbits are trying to gather up all the carrots oh, and they mushrooms. Oh, they found a shortcut. And they found a shortcut to, to Shortcut field. to what? Mushrooms. Uh, they they're gathering all their stuff up, and Frodo is standing in the middle of the road, and he has this feeling, and he's like, I don't know what's going on. He's got this feeling, and he looks down the road, the misty and road. Everything far gets close, and everything close gets far, and so it, it brings it compresses the entire. It, it feels like lungs scene. contracting, yeah. and like yeah, yeah it, it feels it like was, a breath. It yeah. does, and he realizes he realizes. In fact, I think that the audio, like the it has that the same sound. with Lion King too. Yeah. Like it's, if it it's looks like a breath, and he says, "I." And he re- and Frodo realizes in that moment something bad's about to happen, yeah. and oh, it's, get off the and, road, get off the road, and they all jump off the and the, but it's this, it, it, you don't see anything. All it is is a country road. That's exactly. all you see is is John Denver. The, 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 uh, out there. <laughs> John Denver. <laughs> you see you see this country road and then and then it kind of compresses and it's like what what's happening? What's gonna happen? I don't I don't know. And it I don't know. I think it's it's a very very effective use of that dolly. Yeah, it is. So. It portrays a lot, so much in one like half a second shot. It portrays a lot. Okay, all right. So we, we ha- have one question left. Okay, and might as well do it. The question, and this is, what is the most pretentious movie you've ever seen, and what's a pretentious movie that you love? So most pretentious movie I've ever seen, anything by Darren Aronofsky. You don't like his movies. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't like them. Yeah. I'm just saying they're pretentious. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Like Mother. Mother. That, that was the top of the pretentious movie list. Black Swan. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a Dream. They're, my, they're my, all just I, super I remember in high school we talked about this, seeing The Fountain. Oh, yeah. And see, I like The Fountain. Too, <laughs> yeah, it's a good movie. It's, I guess. I, I haven't seen it in you forever. Said it was, I didn't say like it was the it. worst movie you've ever seen. It, it, was, it was the worst movie going experience I've had, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I just did not enjoy it at all. 
It um, felt pretentious. What, what do you think is his most pretentious movie? Requiem for a Dream. It, it, it tries to... It, 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 it. Which is probably his best movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. And I like a movie. It's just... It's super pretentious. Mm-hmm. But... I, I mean, I haven't seen Mother, so I don't know. I, haven't, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to say if Mother's more or less, but... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mother was like... Because it got like an F in the cinema scores, which never happens. But people are like, why didn't you like it? And they're like, it was obvious what he was doing, and it was annoying. Yeah. <laughs> it was like movies that try to shame you, like that that usually doesn't work. They, pretentious they, movies they, are also like, usually pretty preachy. They like wave their finger at you, like mm-hmm. you're a terrible person. But yeah. like, that's what that's what Mother was. So what's the most pretentious movie you've ever seen? Um, so mine is a movie called The Lobster. <laughs> and I feel like this movie tricked me by like the the trailers for it were like um a Wes Anderson movie like like oh it's a funny romance it's like unlike movies you've ever seen before so and and the director even said that that was his goal was to trick people into seeing his movie because he felt like his message was that important <laughs> and then it all it had to do the whole movie was about trying to find and, and marry and date somebody and if you don't then you get turned into an animal you get to choose your animal colin farrell chose a lobster for some reason um but then this like the what their allegories what they were trying to say they're just beating you over the head with it <laughs> it was so up its own ass it was not even funny and it was like okay i get it i get the message and then the movie still had like an hour and 45 minutes left. <laughs> like it was, oh my gosh, it was so bad. And then, and then when you think it's over, like he, he leaves the hotel where he's going to, where they're forcing you to date somebody, even if it makes you unhappy, then you go to the single people and he falls in love with a girl. Like, no, we're single. We're just single people. That's all we do. We don't date people. We're single. And so, dude, it just, it, it overstated its welcome so much. It's, it's, a horrible, horrible movie. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so what's a pretentious movie that you liked? Um, I really like... I, I recently watched a movie. It's called Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. It's definitely pretentious. It's definitely quirky, indie, like, sappy garden state, stuff like that. Um, and it's, it, it, it's pretentious in the way that it's... Uh, I don't know like they're they're almost above movies like that like it's it's a rom-com of high school kids um but it was just really charming the way that they the way they did it so I I can kind of feel the air of pretension about it but it still wasn't enough to like make me not like the movie because it was definitely a rom-com and they were trying to they're acting superior to other rom-coms in it uh, but the story told and the way they told it was really good cool you never said the one that you liked the one that I liked was uh, Shape of Water. Um, the Shape of Water, directed by Guillermo del Toro, starring Sally Hawkins, Doug Jones, and Michael <laughs> Shannon. Um, it's a fish sex movie. The fish sex movie. It won the best picture a couple of years ago. Um, that movie, um, it really kind of beats you over the head with its message. And it... And, um, is it like an environmentalist message? No, no, it's very much uh, like accept yourself, be be happy with who you are. Uh, don't don't judge other people based on how they look or who they're sleeping with. Yeah, um, and 
screw fishes. Uh, just just <laughs> yeah, have, screw fishes. I hate just them. to have so much sex with fishes oh, that, you, that okay. you can. Um, literal, literal screw. Okay. But um, I loved it. I thought I thought it was a great film. All the aspects of filmmaking were excellent in it. And uh, how, many do- I th- how many dolly zooms were there? Uh, I don't think there was one. Uh, are you I sure it was you. a good movie then? <laughs> Are you sure it was pretentious? Uh, but, uh, and I thought it deserved the the Oscar for Best Picture. It's not everyone's cup of tea. I know a lot of people that watched it and was like, that was... Do you think it deserved the Oscar movie? because Michael Shannon was in it? Um, I reason? think that, no. <laughs> but I think that Michael Shannon deserves an Oscar every time he's on screen. <laughs> so um, there's that. I love. He's like my. He, even in his stupid roles, like in the, that Christmas movie that he was in, um, with Seth Rogen and Anthony Mackie and. Uh, the, Jingle all the way. G- no, g- <laughs> Put that cookie down. <laughs> the night before, uh, he was like the ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> In that movie, and he's the he's their drug dealer, and he was the best part of the movie. Anyway, anyway, uh, Shape of Water, fantastic, loved it, super pretentious. All right, Scott. Scott. So my mine is Lost in Translation. That which, was one, that was on my short list too. Yeah, Wait, is that the movie you liked or is no? That the, yeah, the one I liked. Oh, okay. The 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 most pretentious was the um the fountain, and then the one I liked is is Lost in Translation, and and it's it's like. I remember thinking in the movie, um, Scarlett Johansson's character is like, she pissed me off a lot just because the, the, the way she treated her husband, he was just trying to work and be nice to people. And she just saw that as a bad thing somehow. He was excited about his work and and she was bored at the hotel. And mm-hmm. Anyway, and, and she just looked down on people a lot until she found the the movie actor, you know? So... Dude, that movie it has so many layers too. Like, yeah, it's definitely pretentious, but like, they they even set it up that she is really immature. She's like nineteen. She mm-hmm. married like a millionaire. Is there working? They kind of allude that she's just gonna have an affair. Um, Bill Murray is almost like her caretaker, but they never yeah. establish that. He's like, you're young. You're gonna. You're, I I want to make sure you don't make any mistakes, so I will treat you to a night out. Yeah, it's fun, and it's like. I don't know, man. The story is told like between the scenes, you know what I mean? Right. Which is the most pretentious thing ever. But but the, the actual story is being told on what, what's not being said. It's bizarre. It's it's a great movie. It is. It's interesting how the person who directed the worst Godfather movie made a great... Uh... Did she direct Godfather 3? Yeah. Sofia Coppola? I just thought mm-hmm. she was in it. Oh. What? That's crazy. I didn't know it. Okay, cool. Uh, no, that movie was. No, uh, I'm talking about uh, the Lost in Translation. I, yeah. I love. But what did he say? <laughs> no one knows. Huh? It got lost in the. That's translation. kind of. That's kind of the. Uh, that's kind of the. Yeah. That's yeah. another. That's another thing of pretension. Is like, look how. Look how special we are. We, yeah. we're, we're we're making these talking points that you're gonna talk about for. And Inception kind of did it with the mm-hmm. with the top at the end. Then, Dude, there's a level of pretension to Inception too. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I I thought up of a pretentious movie, uh, Batman versus Superman. Uh, like like Jake said earlier, it was like 
what makes a movie pretentious is when their fans go, you just don't get it. You just like Marvel movies. You just want to be entertained. You don't want to think. <laughs> and when, and maybe this is a Zack Snyder because his movie Sucker Punch is really pretentious where he's like, oh, you just want to ogle girls? Well, guess what? They're in a mental institute. Or are they? They're in a hooker house. Or are they? And it was like, all right, dude, I get it. Uh, but Batman versus Superman to me is an example of them. They, they tried to have like an emotional impact with their Martha scene and it just it fell flat on its face. <laughs> um, but I mean, not a lot of people would say that's a pretentious movie. Um, so I guess it's in the eye of the beholder. But again, when you, you're trying to show just how smart you are, I feel like that Zack Snyder DC movies, that's exactly what he was going for. He, he was trying to outdo Marvel with his level of pretension with his intellectualism mm-hmm. pseudo-intellectualism and Troy's not here to defend it so yeah uh, alright so that one went a little longer than we were expecting but deal with it I think uh, you'll forgive us if you liked our other stuff I think you'll like this stuff um, thank you all for listening so much it's we love doing this is so awesome um Please, if you feel like uh, it was worth it, uh, go send a dollar away or something like that through <laughs> our through our uh, Patreon account uh, at Cold Blow Podcast. Please, uh, that would that would help us along a lot. It goes a long way. Yep. And if you like what you heard, leave a review. Leave what a review. Please subscribe and smash that bell. <laughs> I, smash smash, that, smash bell. that bell. I know I called out some of my friends that listened la- uh, a couple times ago, and <clears throat> then I found out that they went on and and left, not necessarily repl- re- uh, reviews, but they but they gave us the rating. They rated they rated it. Oh, so, they half-assed it. Uh, yeah. Oh, so okay. thanks thanks guys for half-assing it. Um, but, but, but for reals, thank you. But for reals, thank you. <laughs> you have the most sincerest thanks and respect of the cold bros here. So thank you, guys. That and $2 will get you a cup of coffee. There you go. <laughs> a two bucks for a cup of coffee. Where are you going to get your coffee? A holiday. Holiday oil. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, like I said, thank you, guys. Is there anything else you guys wanted to say? Nope. nope. All right, then. Well, then we will see you guys next week. And uh, bye. Adios.